Turn and Talk, the podcast where teachers talk about teacher stuff. I'm Danielle Johnson, and joining me today is Gina Ramon. Gina, tell me about yourself. I am 23, about to be 24 years old, and this is my first, second-ish year teaching, kind of a weird situation. So this is my first time taking over a program as a head director, so that's been kind of an interesting journey. What do you love about your job? There is so much that I love about my job. First and foremost would definitely be my kids. They're just such a interesting, spirited group, and they've really challenged me as a teacher to come up with new ways to engage them, and really they've proved to me just how important it is for teachers to have relationships with their kids. That is something that I didn't think I realized at first was so important. At the beginning of the year, you took over a choir program that was basically in shambles. After performance last week, you received some pretty big compliments and some major accolades. How did that transformation happen? A lot of it was that our kids were underestimated, and I think that people didn't think that they were capable of certain things, so they didn't even try to get them to be at a caliber where they could be. I was lucky enough to have a really great associate choir director who was here last year and knew some of the kids that were here, so I was able to come in with at least a base knowledge of the kids and some of the, the, some of the struggles that were happening last year. And I just came in and tried to come in with a positive attitude, make sure that I held the kids accountable for their actions. I struggled for weeks to get them to stand up on the risers, just to get them to get to their spots on the risers. Once they saw that I wasn't going to give up, that I was just going to keep on them and keep on them and keep on them, they finally were like, all right, let's just, let's do what she says and let's see how this goes. From there, they realized like, okay, Miss Ramon knows a little bit what she's talking about. Let's Let's see how this goes for another week. And just from there, we've gotten to the point where now pre-UIL, we're feeling some success. Behavior is much better, and I'm excited for our UIL competition next week. So you're sort of a first-year teacher. You were an assistant choir director, but left after a semester because stuff. That experience kind of shattered your confidence, and you almost left teaching. Absolutely. How have your students helped you find that love of teaching again? Yeah, I had a really just horrible first experience. It had nothing to do with my kids. I absolutely loved my kids. It was the hardest decision I had to make to leave. Coming to Bush, I definitely questioned my own ability. In my interview, I I kind of went in with the attitude like, what the heck? If I don't get the position, that sucks, but I'll keep going and I'll figure something else out. I probably shouldn't teach. But hey, if I get the job, this is something I really am excited about, something I really want, so I couldn't lose. It was a win-win situation for me. I came in the first day, super excited to try all this stuff that you know I'd done in college and all the stuff I couldn't do as an assistant director, but I could do as a head director, and came in in the first day and met all my kids and was like, Oh my god, buckle up, buckle up, Ramon. For a few weeks, definitely doubted if I was going to make any sort of a difference. I had one experience with a kid. I brought the kid into my office, and I was like, hey, I just want you to know that if you ever need to talk, I'm here. And she took me up on that. She came in, and she needed to talk to someone, and I, I guess hadn't felt she'd had that opportunity yet. She talked to me all about her, her home life and just some stuff that she'd been struggling with, and she cried and she opened up to me and we talked for probably a full hour. After that, after she left and I gave her a hug and I said, you know, it's it's all going to be okay and I'm going to be here. I realized in that moment that if I did nothing else for the choir program here, I at least had some sort of impact in this child's life. 
and I was at least there when she felt that she needed to talk to someone. From that moment on, I realized that in this program, relationships have to come first. The music, while I'm a music teacher and I'm all about choir and I love the music, that sometimes needs to take a back seat to the relationship that has to be first. Because with our kids, if they love you, they will move mountains for you. And I realized that in that moment, the next day in class, she was perfect. She was perfectly behaved. She was right with me the entire time. She was excited about what we were doing. And it wasn't because what I was doing was especially exciting. You know, it's just, it's music. It's learning how to read music and that's a struggle. But she was excited about it because we had that relationship, that precedent that was set when I let her just open up and be herself. Is that one of your fourth period girls? Mm Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about this fourth period group of girls. Oh man. So even before I started school, I started coming in for professional development and meeting the other teachers and I was able to look at my roster. I looked at the girls on there and I would tell some of the teachers, you know, like, oh, I have so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Or I would hear them talking about other kids and I'd say, oh, I have them in my, you know, fourth period class. And, you know, they kind of like looked at me and smiled and said, oh, good luck, have fun. And the first day of school, I'll never forget, I was so excited and I'd heard a lot about this group. I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to transform it and they're going to be awesome and this and they're going to be doing this and maybe I can take them to UIL. And they walked in. The best way to describe it was just like a hurricane, a hurricane of middle school girls. They came in, they were loud, they were laughing, they were joking, they were snacking, they were on their phones. I mean, they were literally all up on each other, punching each other, hugging each other, just whatever it is, you name it, twerking. I was like, okay, I'm Miss Ramon, come get on the risers, let's get on the risers. And that alone, I mean, took the first 20 minutes of class to get them there. Actually, one of those girls, I was trying to play a game with them one time, and you know, I guess I made like a face, like, oh, you missed it, you messed up. She's like, why do you gotta make that ugly face? Like, why you gotta be so ugly? You know, this was the first day I'd met them. They're just a hot mess, but they have come so far. And with that class, I don't know if I would be able to teach it if I didn't know them as human beings. Because they're not the type to buy into what you're doing unless you buy into them. They know. They know if you don't like them. They know if you think they're a horrible student. They know if you talk about them to other teachers. They know all this stuff. They're very intuitive and they're smart. They can pick up on body language and stuff like that. I had to take it baby steps. You know, the first month of school, it was getting them on the risers in their assigned spots. I had to put tape down with their names on it. That way they had their own space. It's a non-traditional classroom setting that I'm in. I don't have desks. I don't have chairs. They don't have their own space. They're on their risers with other people. And so that to them was just like a free-for-all. Let's just walk around and just dance around the risers. And I'll just go visit my friend who's on the complete opposite side of the room. And so the first thing I tried was tape in their spots. Second thing I tried, I had to like break up the risers because it was just so talkative the whole time. I could get no teaching done. So I split up all the risers. They were like in chunks and segments and that worked for a while but then it didn't work they started moving their tapes you know to like other risers thinking that I didn't have like a backup copy so I had to I had to have like eight copies of my seating chart because they would move the tape and well Mr. Ramon my tape is right here I would say oh but really your tape's supposed to be over there and so I think they realized I wasn't as stupid as they had originally thought I was coming in and so finally it took a while and it was a lot of Mr. Ramon you do too much Mr. Ramon you play too much Mr. Ramon you extra but finally it got ingrained in their head I think that I wasn't just going to give up on them so they had to do something that way they could at least semi enjoy their class experience with me it took a lot of contacting parents 
and establishing that line of communication too, not only with the kid, but with the parent. So the parent knows that I care. That class has come a long way. Now we're singing and they can actually sight read. Getting them to do it takes a while, but they can sight read and they're hand signing and they enjoy it. They're getting to the point where like, Mr. Moan, can we sing? Like they would rather sing than play a choir game that we do, that it doesn't involve singing. No, Mr. Moan, can we sing? I wanna sing Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning. I've done a few special things for them to try and keep them motivated. I just started um, a breakfast club with them. The last Tuesday of every month, I'm going to get them donuts and uh, sausage rolls and whatever, and they can just come in here and hang out. And it's totally a no-pressure situation. They can come in and chill if they want to. They can come in, grab a donut, and leave if they want to. They can come in and talk to me if they want to. They don't have to talk to me. That way they feel like this is a room that they can come in. It's a safe place for them. I actually recently also wanted them to develop their own choir classroom culture. So I had them make a poster, I want choir to be, and they could write whatever words they wanted, and they could write it however big they wanted, and they could do whatever they wanted, and I told them I'm going to laminate it and I'm going to put it up in the room. That way you can come in and see it every day and know that this room is what you want it to be for you. This is a place I want you to feel safe. And so I told them my three words, which were safe, fun, and free. Don't want them to feel like they can't be themselves. I want them to, to, to say their weird comments. I want them to be friends with everybody. I want them to feel like I care because I really do. And I think at this point in the year, they have realized that. I had a, a like a totally life-changing experience and it seems really small, but I remember it happening and in the moment just being taken aback. I had one student who was having like a meltdown about something and so she was in the back of the room and of course when one is having a meltdown, all their friends want to go and comfort them. There was a friend already there comfort comforting her and I let it go and then one other student tried to go and I was like, okay, two is fine, three is too many. <laughs> so I went back there and I was trying to see what was going on with the situation and, and I put my hand up in another girl's face and I said, go back to the risers, please. She, you know, yelled at me and said, Mr. Moe, you're being so disrespectful to me. You're being so rude. You're putting your hand in my face. And she kind of went on for a little bit. And I said, well, you know what I think is rude? I think it's rude that you're not doing what I asked you to do. And so we kind of left it at that. And she went back to the risers and kind of was upset about it. And I felt upset about it because this was a student I had a good relationship with. And I felt like she had called me out when she knew I wasn't intending to be disrespectful to her. And so we kind of left it at that and we continued class and I was able to get them back on track and focus. And in the middle of class, I was teaching something and she came off the risers and came up to me and just hugged me. Like, in the middle of class, she wow. just, like, stopped me. Yeah, she got off the risers, and she just, like, hugged me in, like, a really tight hug that was completely... I didn't expect it. And I realized in that moment that was her still wanting that approval from me and her saying to me, I forgive you, I'm sorry, and all of those things that she can't say verbally because she doesn't hear them enough to know that that's okay to say and that's something you should say. That was her saying that to me and her still letting me know, like, Miss Ramon, I love you. When I, when I thought about that, I just was like, oh my gosh. I am loved and they know that they're loved, which with that class was like one of my biggest goals. The music comes second for sure. The relationship is first every day. You have an Instagram video diary. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about that and the role that that played, that social media plays mm -hmm. in the culture of your classroom. They'll do anything for the gram. <laughs> so they uh, love to play this game called Four Behind, and they're my masters of movement, especially that fourth period non-varsity girls class. They uh, love to dance, love to just move around. And so playing that game, it's like, wait, I got to take a video of this. 
and I videoed it and uh, I like hashtagged it queens of four behind or something hashtag queens and I put that was my first post on that Instagram and they loved it they loved that one it was about them and not about my varsity classes it was about them and I mean they were just showing off like they're great at that game so I think that they were excited about being good at something because these are kids that don't necessarily excel in their other classes so this is a class where they can come and not so much worry about the grades that they're making even though I still take grades but they're not so much worried about that and they're just worried about expressing themselves and they love to spam my phone. So I have like a million student selfies. And in a few of them, they're like, Mr. Mo, you've got to get in here. You've got to get in this one. So I have some selfies, you know, with them. And it's just something that they, that they enjoy. And they say, Mr. Mo, you've got to post this one. It's something that keeps them excited about choir and about what we're doing. Like, we got to get really good at this so we can post it on Instagram, you know. So that's like a, a motivator for them. And it's also how I post a lot of reminders for, for them and let them know like what's coming up or show them what's going on in other classes that they don't get to see because a lot of those girls are going to be selected to go to varsity. So that way they can kind of see the stuff that's going on in the other choir classes. You sometimes do video diary, right? Where you oh, express yes. yourself about what's going on in your day and mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. And did the girls watch that? Yeah, I actually was just recently gone for the Texas Music Educators Association Conference. And so I was gone for three days, half the week. And so in my, the first day that I was gone on my Instagram story, I said, good morning, choir kids. You better be behaving for the sub. Be sweet because I know you're not going to see me for a while, but I am coming back and I am going to find out what you did. You know I will. And so I had a lot of them, um, you know, respond and D- uh, DM me saying, like, we are behaving, Miss Ramon, or we miss you. And so that's, like, a way that I can communicate that I know they're going to receive that communication. At the end of that message, I just let them know, like, I love you and I miss you. They responded with the same thing back. And I try and tell all of my classes that at the end of class. Like, I love you. Bye. Because I don't know how many times I get to hear that in a day. Last week, you had a real powerful moment with a kid mm-hmm. that changed the dynamic of one of your classes. Mm-hmm. Tell me yes. about that. So I have this student who he's kind of hit or miss. On some days he comes in and he's great, and on some days he's not. And he's such a leader in my class that if he falls apart, the entire class falls apart pretty much. We had had a kind of a, a rough class period together. He left class, and he was trying to go out of class. I'm a very type A person, so I have a certain door they come in through and a certain door they leave through. He tried to go out the door that students come in through. And I just went full on dragon queen on him and just yelled at the top of my lungs in that moment of sheer frustration that he was just my target for all of it. And so, you know, he came in and he did what I was told. And, you know, he he was yelling at me and I was yelling at him. And he told me to get out of his face and then called me bro. And that made me madder. So he left and I started my next class and it was really hard for me to shake it off. And I felt just really bad about it the whole next day until his class came in. And when his class got in, I kind of got them settled. And I could tell already that he was still upset about it from the previous day. He came in and just laid down on the risers and wasn't responding to me. And I looked at him. I said, hey, come here. I want to talk to you. You're not in trouble. You always got to let them know you're not in trouble. So I brought him into my office and I closed the door and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm sorry about the way I reacted yesterday. I feel really bad about it. And I'm the adult, and I should have realized that, you know, that was a little bit out of line for me, and I'm sorry about that. And he kind of didn't really make eye contact with me, but I could tell he was a little bit surprised in his face, and he just said, it's okay. 
and um, I had just found out also that something had happened in his life that was kind of a shocker for him. I let him know, you know, I'm sorry to hear about what's going on, and it must be really hard for you to have to see your family, you know, going through this and whatever, and I said, a lot of the times what's going on in our lives explains why we act a certain way, but it, it can never be an excuse. This kid, he's in sixth grade, but he's smart enough to know what that means. He looked at me and he said, yeah. And I said, can we make today better? Let's just shake hands. Let's say today's going to be better. Let's have a great day and let's just forget, forget about it. What do you say? And, you know, he shook my hand and I held his hand. And I said, dude, this is an unbreakable vow, man. Like, you got to make today better because you're shaking my hand and I'm holding you to it. And he, he kind of laughed and he said, okay. And he left the office and he was the best student that day in class. All I asked him to do was make today better, and I think that my apology validated his 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 feelings, you know, that it was unfair the way I spoke to him, and it was unfair of him the way he acted, and that was his apology to me, was him acting correctly. He knew that that, to me, that was him telling me that he was sorry, too. That was a, a special moment for me because I'm really big on apologizing to kids if you make a mistake. Because if we want them to apologize when they make mistakes, we have to be the example for them. We're the adults. We don't know what they go to at home. We don't know if they've ever heard sorry in their lives. Or somebody just validating the fact that, yes, they have feelings. Yes, they're smart. And they realize that, you know, the teacher was very upset at them. That affects any kid. It doesn't matter if they're your brightest student or not, or if they're your sweetest student or not that affects them just to know that you're mad at them. It's like little moments like that that you don't, they're not like lightning strike moments that hit you at the time. It's when you reflect on them that you realize, wow, that was a really special moment that I had with this kid. That changed my class for the better. And that changed me as a human being for the better. You're about to head into your first competitions. Mm -hmm. You've had some pre-UIL, and now you're headed into the real deal. Yes. What are you excited about? I'm excited for them to feel success. It's one thing to hear it from me. They hear it from me all the time. You know, oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Yes, that crescendo was so good. Yes, oh my gosh. And now they're starting to hear it from other people. And I think just for them coming from last year and having a bit of a struggle and not having a connection with the head director that was here, for them, that is everything. And I told them, you know, scores and what three people or six judges think about us, that doesn't matter because me and Mr. Fab have seen the hard work that has gone in. We've seen the, the love that you've put into every single note. So whatever the scores are, we're going to be happy. I really do feel like they're going to they're going to feel success themselves and they're going to get some scores that they are proud of. That's what I'm excited about. It's not about me. Some of them are in 8th grade and they're going to high school next year and I, I they're going to be so excited to just say like we did really well at UIL this year and we felt successful and we felt loved and appreciated. They're going to feel all the feels and I can't wait. Speaking of other people giving them some recognition for mm -hmm. their hard work and like praising how good they've gotten because of their work, you actually had your old choir director. Yes, come that was awesome. To our school, mm -hmm. like she flew here. Yeah, she flew here mm -hmm. and spent the day mm -hmm. with you and seeing yeah, your kids seeing and like their what hard I do. work. Mm -hmm. What was that like? 
It was surreal, honestly. I could not have been any happier. Like, I was on cloud nine the entire time she was here just because she so much shaped me as a choir director. I had her sixth or eighth grade, and that's your musical foundation, really, is middle school. Half of what I do, I would say, I've stolen from her, and that's what that's what teachers and choir directors do. We just steal things from everybody and exchange and so she was here and she got to work with both of our UIL groups and just all of our groups and got to play some games with them and get to know them. At the end of the day, my varsity girls were like, Miss Ramon, you're so much like her. You act so much like her. You tell the same jokes. And that just makes me happy thinking that it's almost like like generations, you know? And so I'm thinking maybe someday one of my choir kids is going to like call me and ask me to come and work with her groups and or his groups. And that'll just be such a crazy amazing feeling because I mean what else is better for a teacher than having your students come back and tell you that you just impacted their lives that's what she did for me impacted my life so much that I became a choir director I probably wouldn't if it wasn't for her I'm sure that experience helped repair some of that damage from your first ish year teaching mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. validated you as yes. a choir director and seeing that hard work. Mm-hmm. So you've come a long way this year. Yeah, and she she came in and, you know, she listened to our, our, our boys, our men's group, and she, you know, looked at me and was like, dang, y'all have done some work. She's like, I did not, I was not expecting this. I was expecting to have a lot of comments to give, a lot of things to say, and their tone is beautiful it's right where you want it and I wouldn't she she said this exact these exact words she said I wouldn't have expected the tone that they produced by just looking at them when they walked in I think that that's what everybody thinks looking at them they wouldn't have expected what they heard and I want to change that I don't want that to be a thing I want our kids to not be underestimated I want people to see our kids and say like yes dang they sound just as good as any other choir it doesn't matter that they're a title one school it doesn't matter you know the socioeconomic level it doesn't matter none of that matters what matters is that they're just a freaking good choir that's what she made me feel is that none of that other stuff matters it's about the the journey and the fact that somebody else besides me and Mr. Fab could see the improvement was just such an amazing feeling. Somebody to tell us, yes, you're on the right track. Yes, things have gotten so much better. I'm so excited for next year. I mean, I just think it's going to be amazing. Dina, thank you so much for sharing about how the relationships with your kids have just really fed the success that they're having in choir right now. This wraps up our episode of Turn and Talk. You can follow Turn and Talk on Twitter at turn underscore and underscore talk. And you can follow Gina Ramone on Twitter at Miss Ramone Choir. And you can follow her on Instagram at Miss Ramone Choir. Excellent. <laughs> um, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Danielle Johnson at iHeartMissJohnson. And remember, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. While I still have you, I wanted to give you an update. Since the recording of the podcast, Miss Ramone's choirs have competed in UIL. The boys' choir received an excellent rating. And her girls' choir received superior ratings from all judges, which means they won what is called sweepstakes. Congratulations.